0: What we're getting ready to read is one of the father-son talks. Um, This is a father who has been pouring everything out for his son. And he is doing everything for uh, trying to teach the son about the path of wisdom and how to walk down the godly path and, and how to become a person who's skilled in the art of godly living, which is a definition of the word wisdom. And he's, from chapter one, warned him that there's kind of two categories that seem to occur. And it's amazing that they not only occurred 3,000 years ago, they continue to be problems. And he says, you especially you're going to have to be on the lookout against easy money. And that's particularly breaking the 10th commandment. That that's, begins with coveting. And then he also is going to say, there's a, a lot of breaking of the 7th commandment. And that is, thou shalt not commit adultery. And, and as Jesus will ultimately say, really like coveting is the beginning of, of greed and even the beginning of, of stealing. In the same way, uh, coveting of the eyes uh, uh, for the physicality of another person is, is the beginning of, of breaking of the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. What we're going to read in these 23 verses in chapter 5 is, as one commentator put it, a robust, manly lecture. So I'm going to say most of us have grown up in church. We've never heard this passage preached on in its entirety, not in a Sunday morning service. It is very plain and frank without being unchaste. But it it hits it from all sides. So we just need to let the Word of God speak. And know that he knows what we need and we listen to it not just as from Solomon or not just from the literary person of a father to a son, but ultimately from God to his sons and daughters even in this age. So listen carefully to this manly, robust, father to son lecture known as Proverbs chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ears to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone. And not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your word that is so clear. Lord, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, you cover everything we need for life and for godliness. All that we need to believe in order to receive your mercy and your grace. And then all the ways that we need to behave in order to be in line with your character and to be living the life that you have called us as your sons and daughters to live. But Lord, we cannot do, we cannot understand, we cannot even be touched by these words if your Holy Spirit is not poured out upon us in fresh and increased measure. So we ask, Lord, would you right now anoint us in a very fresh way? Lord, you tell us, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're just asking, fill us afresh the parts of us that are are callous, that are worldly, that are sensual, that are held in cords of sin. Oh God, we pray right now that you would so convict and you would so correct that Lord, we would be able to genuinely turn away from that sin and we would be able to live differently in your power. Lord, not so that we can be, we can be better than others, But Lord, so that we though sinners who are saved by grace, we can point others to one who is better than us all and who takes the sinful people of this world and dies for them and and offers not only to wash their sin away, but to make them new, even like himself. So, Lord, we make this prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And together God's people said. Amen. As we come to this passage of scripture. Let's just set it in context. As I said. He has said that there are. The father has taught the son. That there's going to be two temptations. That are just going to be overwhelming. It's going to be the temptation to easy money. And easy sex. And though we might be a little uncomfortable about talking about this, especially with children of young age, and I'll seek to be as careful as the Bible is careful as we speak about this. But I don't want to say less than the Bible says, because this is the truth, parents. You need to understand it, that we live in a world that has been so completely sexualized that your five-year-old, knows more than you would ever imagine. There, maybe they haven't heard a word of it from you, but they've heard it from their friends at school or on the playground. They, they, they've seen it on the computer or on television. They know words, they've seen things. And so the reality is, is God has put in his word the way that we are to approach, particularly parents are to approach. I think a father to a son, a a mother to a daughter, to be able to have the talk. This is what you're getting is one of the talks. And he comes back. It's not just one talk. It's going to be multiple talks because there are ways of uh, different aspects that he's going to be describing. And so this is really powerful, not just explaining anatomy or explaining uh, 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 the act of, of, of sexual intercourse. But here he is more specifically talking about what's at stake. What, what are the, 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 the guardrails that God has put in place? And what happens when we go outside of those guardrails? So let's be clear. We need this. We need God to speak into our world that is going down the path to death. We need this for ourselves. We need it for our children. And if you are a father or a mother, pay close attention because you can point your children to this, but you also need to explain it. Maybe you had parents uh, like I had. My, my mom and dad, my mom's listening to this, so I'm in trouble already. But their talk was they just put a James Dobson book on my bed. You know, that was the talk, and I can't remember... What it was, it didn't make any sense to me anyway. But they they put it put it on my bed. That was the talk, right? Uh, you need to do more than just give your children good resources. They need to they need to actually hear you. It may be difficult, but it's part of your job. You cannot let them not hear a godly biblical perspective. So one, you need to know what that is, and then you need to communicate that with them. So, let's dive in to this very important, very timely, very significant topic. The father teaching his son about the right place of sexuality and the wrong application of that in life. And so he begins, again, another lecture, verse f- 1 of chapter 5, "...my son, be attentive to my wisdom." Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. This is how all of these lectures begin. It's kind of that overview statement. And he's wanting to say, hey, pay attention, right? If you're a parent, you know that as difficult as it may have been 3,000 years ago for parents to get the attention of their children, there are more shiny objects, more screens, more distractions than there have ever been. So you literally are going to have to grab your child, turn off every screen, every distraction, all the music in the car, at the house, and say, we need to talk. And you look them in the eye and you are going to have a a discussion. You're saying, I need you to pay attention. Now notice this, the father has already said that his wisdom ultimately comes from Solomon, and that wisdom ultimately comes from God. We've seen that in the first four chapters. But notice something about the wisdom and the understanding. The dad owns it. It doesn't mean it's derived from him, but notice in front of the word wisdom, my wisdom. In front of the word understanding, my understanding. The father has owned it. In the same way, your, parent, your children will know when the information you give them, you're, you're preaching something, but it's not in you. It's not a part of you. So the first thing, if you're going to be a godly parent or just a godly follower of Christ in this area is you've got to get the biblical portrait de- related to human sexuality. You've got to get that inside of you because we're being given ideas from the world all the time. And so we need to have God's word pressed in us to the point that we can say, this is, this is my wisdom. It's my understanding. It's not just what somebody else says. It's what I believe on the basis of what I've learned from the word of God. So grabbing the, the, the son, owning the son, again, that tender word, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. I mean, this is not a dad who's trying to shock or, or, or put fear in the child unnecessarily. This is a father who so loves his son and knows that there is a world of deadly dangers out there. And he says, I love you so much that I'm gonna tell you the truth. Pay attention. I've owned it, I've learned it, I'm walking it. And so, then he says, incline your ear to my understanding. In other words, it's, pay attention, but you've got to press in. Put your ear up here, listen to what I'm saying. And we all know that uh, at children, sometimes they can be quiet, and they're sitting there and they're looking at you, but they're really not listening at all. And so, this. notice this. This is really, we've said, this is a, a book describing how you can parent. But the truth is, this isn't for the parent. This is for every son and daughter in this room. This is how you are to respond to your parent. You are to incline your ear. You are to pay attention. Your parent, you say, and this is the truth. Your parent can make you sit in one spot, but they cannot make you pay attention. They cannot make you incline your ear. You can sit there all you want. I mean, you've heard me tell the story of the little kid who is standing in the back seat of the car, and the mom says, "Johnny, you need to sit down," and Johnny won't sit down, and so finally she just reaches back with the one-arm mom grab and pulls him down into his seat, and so he's back there sitting, and he says, "He says I may be sitting on the seat, but in my heart I'm standing up." Right. And that's the truth, right? I mean, you can get them to do something, but you can't get their heart. So, children, I'm wanting to tell you, as your parents are teaching you from the Bible, they're not doing it to be mean to you. They want you to live. They want you to have a happy life. They want you to have a healthy life. They want you to go far. They want you to know God. And so they're doing this to be a blessing but you and you alone can pay attention and incline your ear. It doesn't matter if you're a six-year-old or a 60-year-old. We all have to do this, either directly to God through the word or from our parents. Notice again, this is what he says that will be the result, that you may keep discretion. Discretion being that you know how to act in in very difficult situations, that, that there is a lot of, uh, what you might say, gray in the world, right? And, and how, do you, how do you act in a godly way? How do you have discretion to know how to weigh out very complex situations? And that your lips may guard knowledge. And this is just a poetic way of saying, you know the truth and you're willing to not only have it stored in your heart that you might not sin against God, but speak it. That, that's what you're going to speak. And you notice, you, you know, it's for out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. And you'll be amazed. You go, how do I know how to say that? Where did I learn that? It's all been poured into you at some point. And if you've let the words of the father or the mother soak in, you're going to find yourself being 60 years old and you're going to be saying that. Where did I learn that? I learned that from my dad. I learned that from my mom, but you've got to let that in and then you've got to guard that because that's what your lips need to speak. If you're speaking what godly parents taught you, then you're guarding the word of God. You will be speaking the word of God no matter how dark the day may grow. Well, that's the introduction. He then now is going to kind of give an an overview of uh, the issue. He says, verse three, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. Um, Notice the, the contrast. The lips of the child who's listened to the father is to guard knowledge, meaning you're guarding the truth that comes from the word of God via your father or your mother. But this lady, she's got some very, very sweet words. And we live in a world that we, we judge people by eloquence rather than by content. Uh, you know, the people who, who get on television and they're, uh, you know, these uh, experts and this, that, and the other, if you notice, it's really never about knowledge. It's about, A, how they look and how well they can talk no matter whether they have the most ridiculous, inane ideas ever presented. It doesn't matter. If they look good and they can say it in a, in a kind of a witty way, people love it. They eat it up. And he's saying there is a way in which you have this really sweet talking woman. So he wants them to know that sin, part of the issue with sin is, is it comes across looking one way, when in reality, it's another. To use the old Puritan expression... What Satan does in temptation is he he presents the bait, but he hides the hook it 's like a fish, wow, free meal right there, and you go and boom you 're hooked you 're caught and so he 's wanting to say, look when you 're dealing with this out in the world that it 's not that sin looks bad sin actually the reason it gets you I mean if you if you saw the consequences of sin most people wouldn't go there but because it looks one way and it it tastes sweet it 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 seems smooth people get drawn in now now just a word about this cuz i know how our minds work our minds work in this way we go look this is not just a problem for for guys, I mean, it's like it, the women are getting all the, the uh, um, blame here. It's the forbidden woman that's doing this. You could have guys that are pressuring girls into um, without being married into being sexually intimate with them or, or whatever, right? It's true. Know that how the book of Proverbs is written is not trying to say these are universal truths. It's written with what's known as literary concreteness. It's a specific example of a father talking to a son for the sake of, then you can derive the principles, a mother talking to a daughter, right? So, so don't, don't get caught and say, well, it only means that one instance. It's, it's just the literary concreteness that he's doing so that you can get a picture of it and then you can apply it in a more general way. So when he's talking here about forbidden woman, that word forbidden is, is a bit... Uh, it has multiple meanings, but it's the word for strange or foreign or, or as they translate in the ESV, forbidden. Um, the idea, I think, of the foreign woman always means of a woman who's not of the faith. So it means, it, it, this again is one of the big scriptural th- themes. You marry somebody who's not a believer or you get involved with somebody who's not a believer, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And so I think that's there, but I I do think the idea that the ESV picks up on is right. Namely, this is somebody you know you're not married to. It's outside the fence, but she's talking to you over the fence. And when she talks to you, it's sweet. I mean, you just look, and she has a way of, of, as it'll say later, she captures you with her eyelashes, right? She just knows how to speak and just kind of draw you in, and it seems all so good. I mean, this is one of the things about the world now. It's not just that sin has become the norm. It's that sin is now put up there as the good. Sin is now put up there as the the true, the beautiful. It's, it's put up there and everybody's saying, oh, if you're not with that, you're not good, you're not true, you're not beautiful. And this is what this lady, she has sweet talk. She knows how to, to whisper sweet nothings to this guy. And he just... He just kind of like, wow, that just tastes so good. It says her speech is smoother than oil. This is the idea of refined olive oil. Just so silky, so soft, so smooth. And she just is a smooth operator. So the problem with sin is is we think that it's got to be some big sign with a skull and crossbones saying, poison, right? Do not enter. Let me just tell you, there's not going to be a sign like that. There's not going to be a sign. It's going to be the most beautiful, appealing, sweet-talking, sweet-tasting opportunity in front of you. But that's the wisdom. How do you get past appearances and dig down to bedrock reality? Notice verse 4. This is always about... Uh, how Proverbs goes, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. This is, if you could think, and this is what I want each of you to do in every circumstance, not just right and wrong, but just your life, is we as Christians, one of the great things that we need to do in making any decision is we need to think about the consequences and where it's going to end up, right? Where is this going to end up? because in the moment it might seem sweet it might seem smooth it might seem this is exactly what i want but walk out because you've been given biblical truth you've been given godly wisdom walk it out and see where does this thing actually end where is the where is the 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 destination that this road is going to go and you know it from biblical truth plus from Hundreds of examples that you know in people's lives of the destruction that falling in and giving in to temptation can bring. And so here he says, where does it end? But in the end. So you think it tastes good now, but at the end of the road, it's going to be bitter as wormwood, which is just an incredibly bitter taste. Just imagine uh, putting... Some of you have ever been, I don't know, last time when we went to Belize, if we took quinine tablets, but if you've ever taken quinine tablets for malaria, oh man, that is some bitter, bitter stuff. Well, imagine, you think it tastes good now, but let's think about how's it going to taste five years from now? How's it going to taste five years from now? How's it going to taste 10 years from now? And he's saying it's going to be bitter as wormwood and it's sharp as a two-edged sword. It doesn't bring life. It's going to bring death. In fact, he says that in in 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. That's, that's, That's it. Do you notice God is not a cosmic killjoy. God has not put his law because he's trying to keep you from the one fruit that's actually going to make you happy and satisfy you. God knows that no matter how sweet the path may look, No matter how wonderful the appearances are, he knows where it ends and he's telling you, you don't have to scout it out yourself. You don't have to learn everything by experience. You can learn by submitting your heart to the word of God and saying, I'm not going to walk that path. If you're on that path today, then you can say, I'm getting off of that path because I've been told and I believe, not because of somebody's experience, but because of God's word making it plain. This is headed to death. Remember, as we said last week, really, you, see, you hear the hiss of the enemy. Who promises, hey, you know what? You take that fruit, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God. And all the while, he knows he's condemned already. And all he wants to do is to drag you down to death with him. Every time you ride by a cemetery, you need to say, that place is the marker of people who thought that sin was sweet-tasting honey. But in the reality, it was poisonous wormwood leading to death. So he's very clear. You've got to consider the end. Consider the consequences. Figure out where this is going to work out. I mean, I do this for myself all the time. I try to say, before I'm making a decision, what do I want my life to end up like? Where is this decision going to end me up at? And the best that we can figure out with our God-given wisdom, we imagine that, we see that, and we say, well, then I don't want to go that path. Or yes, that's the path I want to go. Notice there in 6, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. She doesn't ponder what she's doing. She lives in the moment for immediate sensual gratification. That's it. And isn't that true? We are taught by the world, don't think, I mean, you know, you know, even that whole Fu Manchu song, whatever that is, you know, I mean, live, uh, live like you're dying or whatever that song is. Um, the, the point is, is just get every little experience you can now, you know, enjoy it to the best of your ability because this is, this is going to be the end and you just kind of want to soak it up. But nobody actually ponders, you're on a path, where is that path headed? I'm amazed. I don't think that antipathy toward Christianity is the big marker of our age. I think it's just absolutely that people could care less. I don't think people are, 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 are filled with hatred. I think they just, when they think about God, it's like, who cares? They live and they die and they never consider what the ways they've lived mean and where the path they've walked is headed live and die, never having thought about eternal destination. Can you imagine that? Let me tell you, it is rampant in this land and it is rampant in the church of Jesus Christ that everybody's about here, now, this moment, not realizing you are on a track. And she's just aimlessly wandering, trying this, trying that, going wherever. But she doesn't know she's wandering because she's never thought about the fact that everybody's life is a path. So then we now go into the very specific reasoning for not falling into sexual immorality. Verse 7, And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Notice he's put sons back into the plural there because as we said back in the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, This most likely means not that the the father had multiple sons at one time, but it's talking about chronological sons, sons over time. Sons, grandsons, great-grandsons. Literally, this is one of the ways we can know this talk is for us. Because we are one of those sons. Father Abraham has many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. If by faith we receive the righteousness of God, then we are the sons of God. So he's now speaking to that cross-generational sons. Again, he says, listen to me. But he also says, don't depart from the words of my mouth. Again, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And along the way, how many people have grown up in godly, godly Christian homes? They've been taught the truth. They maybe even had a period of their life that they walked it out. But they, like those tempted in Hebrews, they departed. It's not impossible. People want to make it like God somehow, he's just not going to let anybody depart. People can and do depart. And they give evidence that they've never been a part. They give evidence they've they've never belonged. They've never truly, they've gone through all of the motions. They've been inside the camp. They've been inside the walls. They've gone through the ceremonies and rituals, but they've never truly belonged to God by faith because they depart from the words never to return. So he's talking to us multi-generationally. He says, verse 8, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. What does Jesus pray? You know, uh, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Let's just be clear. Most of us in this room are too weak to even get near temptation. And it's not every temptation. This is my saying. This may confuse you, but this is what I, I've come to realize. Temptation is only temptation if it's tempting to you. So not everybody's going to be tempted to easy money, to, to greed, to stealing. And in the same way, not everybody's going to be tempted in the same way towards sexual immorality. But you know where that sin that is a temptation for you. And you say, Lord, deliver me from evil, which means don't even let me get close to it. Let me tell you, what you look at is what you are going to follow. So notice here it says, keep far away from her. Don't go near the door of the house. You know and I know when it comes to temptation that if you court it, if you play with it, if you get near it in a physical relationship, you get near it on your television, you get near it on your computer, you're already... In trouble because you are told that literally you're to steer clear of it. Don't even think, oh, I can handle it, because you know what, pride goes before a fall. So be humble, Lord. I mean, the I think the strongest Christian person is a person who says, I'm weak. I'm weak. I can't. I I can't get around. I can't get around that situation, because I know I'm weak. Jesus makes it really clear. He says, you know what? He says, it'd be better for you to go, if, you, if your eyes are what's causing you to sin, gouge them out. Because it'd be better to enter the kingdom of heaven blind or with an arm cut off than not to. Now, he's speaking in a, in a very strong, uh, hyperbolic way, but, but point being is, most of us, we play with sin. We just don't realize this thing can bring you down. Right? It can be all kinds of things. You'll see. I mean, uh, uh, for some people, it's going to be alcohol. You can't even get near the stuff. Other people, sexuality. Other people, maybe it's temptation to steal or be greedy or, or covetous. You've got to steer clear. Other people, it's fear. Let me tell you, I've heard this one more n- enough, so I'm just going to give you my free advice. Not Bible advice, my advice. Half of you in this room need to watch less news. (laughs) You can't handle it. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. It makes me nervous. It makes me worried. I get my eyes off God and I start looking at the news and I go, oh man, the end is near and Jesus is lost, right? Most of you in this room, you can't. Some of you can't. But you need to realize, Lord, where am I weak? Lord, help me not even get near the door of that. some of you, it means you just need to never go near a computer. Are you willing to give up going to com- near a computer? Because you would rather be in the kingdom of heaven? Some of you parents, take the crazy step, cancel cable television. Not laws, I'm just saying you've got to figure out what are the weaknesses in my family and myself and what do I need to do, how do I keep us from going down a path. You know what? One of the worst things on television are the advertisements. They're constantly trying to get you to think, I just don't have enough. You know, you got the new phone, the new computer, and you find out six months later, it's completely obsolete. There's a word for that. Satanic. That's satanic. It's just like crazy. It's just trying to suck you in where your whole life, you're, I gotta have, I gotta have. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And you end up with a house full of stuff and a heart full of nothing, right? So be wise. Not me telling you, you have to do this, that, or the other. But you figuring out for yourself, for your family, how do I keep far from her? How do I not go near the door of her house? You figure that out. And there are people uh, who, with different issues, I won't even go there. Then verse 9, notice some of the consequences. Left, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Do You know what sexual immorality does? Either adultery or <clears throat> um, sexual immorality, fornication, um, homosexuality, incest, whatever sin you can think of related to anything other than God's plan, one man, one woman in marriage for life. You know what the first thing it says there? It kills your reputation honor is public uh, uh, people speaking and saying this is a person who is honorable and the first thing is is it's a hit literally as one commentator said it's like when you sin sexually imagine you're a married person and you run around on your wife or your husband he says it's like giving your unbelieving neighbors stones to throw not only at you but at christ Says that, that's what's going to happen. You're giving your honor to others. You're not going to be You're losing your honor and your years to the merciless. I mean, all of the stories of people who walk down this path and they, they end up in horrible relationships, thinking they can jump from one relationship to another because it'll be better. And they find out they're just slaves to the merciless. Verse 10, let strangers take their fill of your strength. Lest strangers take the fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. You know what that's saying? It's saying there's economic consequences for sexual immorality, particularly for adultery. Um, You ought to look it up online sometime if you haven't just cut your computer cord. But... There's people who study all kinds of things, but the economic impact of divorce in the United States is unbelievable. It's just it's it, the loss of wealth to families, the the struggle that so many single mothers have to go through just to survive. I mean, it, it's not just a personal thing. It's a it, what we're seeing is is the consequences of it out in our society. And as I always say, when I say that, and people get worried because I know in my family and in this room, there are many people that have been divorced and you think, oh, he's throwing stones. Every time I've ever said something like that, the people who say amen the loudest are those who walked it. Because they go, yeah, it's hard. Maybe it wasn't even your choice and you couldn't avoid it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, that there are economic consequences. And here it's saying, rather than one family being blessed and being out of poverty, I mean, so much of poverty is because of families that uh, have gone so many different ways and oftentimes because of sexual immorality. Then notice verse 11. At the end of your life, you groan and your flesh and body are consumed. Uh, This is the other thing. So often people get caught up in a life of sexual immorality and they go through life fine, but then if you've ever seen somebody eaten up with regret at the end of their life, it's it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing to see somebody who goes, man, my kids hate me. Uh, You know, I've got a trail of broken relationships. Um, Notice it's not just, notice what it says here, Um, end of your life you've grown when your flesh and body are consumed it's not just that there's honor that's been lost finances that have been lost sexual immorality has physical consequences too i mean again studies show up to 25 percent of younger people in the united states have venereal diseases 25 percent nobody wants to talk about it just give them a pill move on right but it is rampant in our society. And God's just, it's not like we're sitting back, well, the Bible has nothing to say about this. It's been clear, even your flesh is consumed. And so it's a very clear portrait that we need to, to take in. And so this is a person that at the end of his life, he's just sitting there, he's racked with Guilt these are those people at the end of their life, they're replaying. They can't remember what happened five minutes ago, but they remember the sins of their youth, and they replay them and replay them. And this is what he says in verse 12, And you say how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I would not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ears to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation." This is the lament of a person who is at the end of his life and saying, why didn't I listen? Why did I not listen? And he's saying, you know what? When I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof, it means that he could not be corrected. Let me just tell you right now, children, if you're 21 and younger, I want every one of you to listen so carefully. You need to, your flesh, when your parents correct you, your flesh is going to rise up and say, oh, I can't stand them that they said that that was wrong or that they spanked me or they punished me. You need to say, I know this is for my good. I know this is for my good. You need to receive it from them. They love you and they they're not trying to hurt you. They're trying to get you off the bad path and to get you onto God's path. And that sometimes takes a little a little more to do that, but love it. And when they correct you, don't just just say, oh, I endured that, receive it. Take, go down the different path. I I can't tell you how many of us who had parents that disciplined us firmly, we look back and I can honestly say that I'm so glad. In fact, I wish they probably spanked me a little more to be quite honest with you. I think I would have benefited from it. I wish they'd give me a few more talking to's. I wish there had been more consequences from them because every one of them has borne fruit in my life for good. Every time they did something, it's a lesson that's stuck in here. But the point is, is, is speaking not to the parents, but to the child. Receive it. Don't despise it. Don't get mad at your parent for giving it to you. It's God working through them because he loves you. And he wants you to go on a path toward life. But notice this person, at the end of his life, he says, I'm at the brink of utter ruin. I'm at the brink of utter ruin. See it? The life lived out, and there you are. You're an older person, and that's what you just have to say. I, I, I just squandered my life. I'm just filled with regrets. Well, that's not all that we have here. Look with me now, verses 15 to 20. The most shocking, but yet probably the most significant part of this proverb because of its uniqueness. It says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Uh, here he's using metaphor and imagery. And essentially, this is, this is key. You hear all this and sometimes we think with all of the lines that are drawn about human sexuality in the Bible that somehow God's against it. So let's just, let's just go ahead and state this on the record. Human sexuality and sexuality between a man and a woman is not man's idea. It's God's. It is not a bad thing. It is within the ordained bounds. It is a good thing. And it is the way that God, He has given it for not only the pleasure and blessing of the couple and for their intimacy, but even for the bringing forth of life into this planet. And so when we are on one hand saying, this is wrong, we need to, with an equal trumpet, say, look, the idea is God's. He's for it. He made it. And He says, this is the way that it will be best expressed. And so He's saying to the Son... Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. He's basically saying, yes, that this is a human desire, a human need, like thirst, that you need to have satisfied. He says, but you've got your own well, you've got your own cistern at home, that's where you need to be satisfying your thirst. Then when he says, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, two possibilities, I I think that it may mean that here talking about the wife, that she literally is immoral and she literally is, is out in the street or it could be the man is drinking from the street. Either way, uh, uh, the, the point is, is that this is just saying there are no boundaries and literally it's not an exclusive relationship between husband and wife. The reason we know that if it is the wife or the husband, that it is really about exclusivity. Look in verse 7. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. The beauty of physical intimacy is for a husband and wife within the sacred commitment of marriage. It's God's idea. It's God's idea. And he says, it's it's just between you. It's, It's something that you will never, you don't share with anybody else. And this is one of the reasons, I mean, people who, it shocks me, but people who totally don't believe in the Bible, yet when their husband or their wife or their boyfriend or girlfriend cheats on them, they're furious. I'm like, why? <laughs> why? Because the law of God is written in the heart of man. We know it's wrong. We know it's wrong. And so here he's, he's saying it needs to be exclusive. And then this is a prayer, well, verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving dear, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. This is the father praying for the son. Let me just tell you this. I've heard so many people in my life say, ah, oh, I can't, I don't like prayer. Prayer's boring. It's probably because you've never had anybody pray a prayer like that for you. But here is a father. Remember, this is a robust man-to-man talk. And this is the father praying for his son that rather than trying to find satisfaction out in the street, where it's going to bring death and destruction and loss of honor and loss of wealth, and and ultimately it's it's going to be utter ruin. He says, within God's bounds, what I'm praying is you will have the most sexually satisfying relationship imaginable, son, and God, let it be so. Isn't that, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Again, uh, uh, indicating that this is a long-term commitment, that this is the wife that he's had since they were young. Then it says, she's a lovely deer or graceful doe. The reason the ESV translated graceful doe is because they just knew it wouldn't work, but it literally says a graceful mountain goat. (laughs) Um, And most of you, you know, if if your dad is praying for you, may your wife be a lovely deer and a graceful mountain goat. That wouldn't work for you, right? But the point is that he's saying, and I heard one commentator who said he was in Israel, was up on a tell, which just is a a word for mound. They were doing archaeological uh, uh, excavation. And he says a, a mountain goat actually came to him. And he says all of a sudden this verse made sense. He said the mountain goat was so nimble it could walk on all of these rocks. He said it had the most beautiful eyes and eyelashes and he said it would let you pet it and its, it's hair was the silkiest, softest hair. He said all of a sudden he realized it really was a compliment. It really was a compliment. When the God was saying, I want your wife to be a mountain goat or the father saying, I want to pray to God, I want your wife to be a graceful mountain goat. And then you just notice the the, the beauty and the, the play and the joy of physical intimacy. Let her breast fill you at all times with, be, with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Literally the word there is be led away. What it means is if there's something that you should be able to just let yourself go and enjoy and you know there's no guilt, no shame, and no repercussions, no evil, all good from God, it's the husband-wife physical intimacy. By the way, let me just say this. We live in a day and age where the thought is is that physical intimacy is something you choose. When I mean, we're talking about husband and wife. You choose if you feel like it. I think I'll, I, you know, my husband's acting good. I think we'll, we'll be involved that way. Or my wife's acting good. I think, you know, we'll be involved that way. It's not a choice. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, wife, your body belongs to the husband. Husband, your wife belongs. Your body belongs to the wife. Meaning, it is a command of God, not just something. It's not icing on the cake. It is the command. It's the cake that God has given. And part of what he's saying is, is we live in a day and age where people are trying to find satisfaction everywhere in the world, partly because we're not living out the mandate of God to be satisfied in that way within the bonds of marriage. Be intoxicated. Be led astray. Be swept away in this love. And then he finishes that by saying, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Gets right down to it. Says so a woman, and this is the point, if she's going to cheat on her husband, she'll cheat on you. You won't know how many people have been involved with that person and all of the Lack of honor and disgrace for the name of God and all of the implications and consequences that come with it. And then we now quickly go to the end. Verse 21, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. You know, this is the verse that hit me the most in this passage. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. You know, this is what I thought. Think about this what your thought life is, what you think about, what you entertain, the books you read, the stuff you watch on television, on the internet, the people you hang out with. How many of you in this room, you would say, you know what, I wouldn't do that if the pastor was there. I say, "Oh, I wouldn't do that if one of the church members was there." Do you know what? Do you know how obscene that thought is? Let me tell you why. Because we're more concerned about what some other little sinful mortal human thinks than the God who sees everything. He sees everything, and we sin boldly. Do you know what this means? For all our talk about fearing God, we have little. Because we go, oh, well, nobody sees. It's private. It's secret. I can do this. I can think this. I can be this way. But yet it says that for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and God has pondered. He's thought through every aspect of everything you're doing. And that doesn't strike terror in your heart. That doesn't make you want to honor him and please him. Then you need to say, Lord, do I really belong to you? Because it should strike fear in our heart to do anything that displeases God. We will, certainly. And there is grace and there is mercy, but it is not grace and mercy that says, well, I don't care what God thinks because God sees and he ponders. And then we end, verse 22, the iniquities of the the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Do you notice what that verse is? That shows you that ultimately, sin is completely addictive. And once you are an addict, you are a slave, and you will die a slave. It, it, it's, you know, Sin is progressive. It, you know, you, you've got the desire. You, you, you give in to the desire. You commit the sin, and you do it over and over again. And what does it say in James 1? Eventually, the desire gives birth to the sin, and the sin gives birth to death. And eventually, you just can't stop. I, I remember asking an, an older man, In one of a robust, manly discussion, saying, "You know, like when you get to what age do you stop lusting? You know, what age does that like cease to be a problem?" And and this person was in his eighties. He says, "I'll tell you when I get there." In other words, you're just—if you go down that pattern and you don't have self-control, women, men, then you're—you're going to be a slave till you die. And God is calling us at this moment to become wise. And then it says here, not only are you held fast in the cords, verse 23, he dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. Um, that's That's the ultimate reality. It leads to death, physical death, and more importantly, spiritual death, where you literally become like an idol. You can't see anything. You can't hear anything. You can't move. You can't feel. Literally, spiritually, you're dead. That's what sin does. That's what sexual immorality does. It literally hardens your heart to all of a sudden, you can't feel anymore. You can't feel. We're going to end. But you know, I was thinking about this. You know, I think one of the reasons this talk had to be really a big deal is because Solomon had seen the effects of adultery on his mom, and on his dad, and on the nation, that it had literally torn David's family apart, that it literally torn the kingdom apart, so that there would be revolts with Absalom, and then at his death, Adonijah trying to take the crown, that it would just be destruction. And it was destruction because one man, one man with one simple act refused to look away. He entertained the sin. He indulged the sin. He was washed downstream with the sin till his heart became like stone until confronted by the prophet Nathan. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the challenge of the Lord. And finally... Finally, hear this. David, that man who committed this sin and who the consequences of that sin affected the nation, that man repented. So don't say, you know what? The pastor's preached and I'm condemned and I'm done for. I'm telling you right now, humble yourself before the Lord. Say, Lord, this has got me in chains, but I want to be set free. Will you set me free? And God will. And he will give you the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, so that you will be able to honor him in all ways, even with that great gift of human intimacy. You will be able to honor him from thought through all of your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we know this is a hard topic to look at, Lord. in some very plain, plain words. Lord, we do not want to see it apart from the gospel and Christ. But Lord, we realize that spiritually we have been adulterous. Lord, we've not loved Christ. We've loved other loves, believed other things. And Lord, we want to be completely committed to the bridegroom of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. All that he is, all that he calls us to. So Lord, right now, as you convict us of ways that we are perhaps trapped in sin, perhaps we're on the precipice of sin, perhaps we're toying with sin, perhaps we're getting lazy about what we let into our eyes and minds, that, Lord, you would help us. You'd help us right now to say, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I repent. I ask you, God, to give me strength to fight against what the world is filled with. Lord, I pray for every man and every woman in this room. That you would make for us, Lord, a people that would honor you in this realm while the world says, no rules, just right. The world is completely throwing off the shackles. But Lord, may we believe you. May we walk by faith and not by sight. Believing that ultimately, the path that you have set before us is a path of life. Lord, it is in Jesus' name that we pray and together God's people said. Amen.